You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. The one, the only, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Hello. You got any thank yous? You know, I haven't heard from anybody this week. Nobody but, likes you, know, you anymore. I don't know. Maybe it's Labor Day weekend. People are busy. Oh, my. So, so today, Zeb, we're going to talk about a Wild West show and what it took to put together a Wild West show. It took a lot of work. Yeah, and, and we'll get into that. But uh, anyway, this is uh, written by a guy named Milt Hinkle. Okay. And he, uh, I like this because this is his story. So it's going to be pretty accurate. Okay. Now, is he the showman? No, he worked for him. I see. So he starts out, he said, I joined the Buffalo Bill Wild West show in 1896 oh my. and was on different, uh, in different Wild West shows on and off until 1932. So, you know, uh, 35, 37 years in the Wild West business. So he said, uh, you know, to keep things shows going took a lot of money, plus a staff of men with a lot of know-how. And as I get into this, you'll see that it was a highly skilled group of men that had to put this together may i make a comment and then i'll be sure. quiet but there has been in the last decade a resurgence of wanting to get back to a lot of that typical showmanship of the wild west show well when i get through show, telling you sharing you some of the things that went on it would be it would be a big hit yeah, it'd be a big hit absolutely but so he says that as a rule in late january things at winter quarters would start rolling in a big way the show had to be whipped into shape and preparations made for the season so he says there was a general superintendent was always the first to show up for his instructions to take inventory and decide what was needed he had to see that the winter quarters cookhouse was ready to feed the work crew and that sleeping quarters were adequate in only a few days he would have things going full blast and to think of this zeb carpenters building and repairing seats okay blacksmiths working on equipment painters giving everything an extra coat gold leaf specialists decorating the beautiful parade wagons you've seen pictures of those Harness makers repairing and making new harnesses. I mean, there was a lot of things you, you wouldn't think about. Let right? me ask this though, Ken. Uh, you're talking about an in-place Wild West show, aren't you? No. Instead of a traveling. No. Oh, no, I is, see. This is getting ready for uh, the traveling to, to hit the road. Right. Okay. Yeah. This all had to take place before they even left. And now they called the guy that took care of the horses the boss hostler. He would be busy breaking and teaching the new horses. Uh, the boss. Canvas man would see that all the tents and so on were serviceable, and then came the sideshow boss to ensure that the various attractions were ready, and the man who handled the carbide lights, and whom we called the chandelier man. In the early days, we had no light plant, uh, but relied on oil, torches, and carbide, and I'm not exactly sure what that is. Uh, then there was the ammunition 
Shorty, they called him, who operated a wagon where shells were reloaded for our blank shooting. Now, that would be a man that I'd pay extra to. I would really want him to be on your side. A little later, the train master would show up and see that all the flat cars were in shape and repaired and that the sleeping cars were all right. He also checked on the what they called the pie car, which was the privileged car where card games and dice games were operated and where you could get a lunch uh, and draw some money to be used uh, in the commissary for buying work clothes, shoes, boots, and tobacco. So basically, this is... <laughs> for lack of better terminology, a traveling city. It is. And they had their own money, so to speak. What they got paid, they could use to buy stuff at the commissary. And he said, we had a paymaster, ticket seller, secretary, bookkeeper. They had what they called the white ticket wagon was the main office where payrolls were made up and paid every two weeks. The white ticket wagon was where the reserve seats were sold and where all tickets of other kinds were distributed to the ticket sellers who would go out ahead of time and sell tickets to the town they were headed to. Holy man. <clears throat> the red ticket wagon handled general admission tickets at the downtown uh, ticket wagon. You could get reserved and general admission tickets. So this all had to take place before they even arrived at the town. Now, here, here's the most important people. The number one man and the most essential was the general agent who would report about 30 days before the show opened. He and the big bosses, the owners, would set the opening date and choose what they thought would be the best route to take. They would pick out towns with the best payrolls. The general agent also made the railroad contracts on each line we would travel. In addition, he had charge of the billing crew brigade. Now, I have a question there. Okay. Did these cities put up any front money for them to come to their cities? I have no idea. I, I'm going to guess not. I'm just guessing. I, I don't know. So railway car number one left about 20 to 25 days ahead of the show. Really? With a large 8 by 24 paper sheets in the car where two teams of horses and wagons and a boiler used to cook and prepare the paste we used on billboards. You don't think about that. Whoa. The paste and these big, huge billboards, yeah, you know, that are really? pasted on buildings. So after the general agent, the next most important man was the publicity man who wrote and planted stories in all the papers. Oh, my. Uh, there were no radio stations, so he had to rely on newspapers, handbills, and billers to get to the customers. So these are the front people. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now, after the general agent, the next most important man was the, like say, the publicity man to, to get things out there. The number three man was the train master who had charge of the train crew who saw to the switch engines uh, th that they were placed, the cars at the loading and unloading uh, places, so that the stock cars were placed where stock could be loaded and unloaded, and that the sleeping cars were placed right. He had all these train cars he had to have in the right order, in the right place, for loading and unloading people how and many, animals. How many train cars we'll made to, up? We'll get to that. I figured you would. <laughs> the boss hostler supervised all the baggage stock that pulled the equipment, wagons to and from the train, so the horses. Next came, the most important, the chief cook, who saw to it that everybody on the show had three meals each day. There had to be plenty of groceries, ice, and supplies to feed all these people. Holy moly. So... Hundreds of people who made up the show. Hundreds. That were on this train. Yeah. 
Now, next, the arena director would show up about 10 days before opening, along with the chief of cowboys, to rehearse some of the acts, such as the horseback uh, riding, the trick riding, trick roping, horse roping, uh, fights over the water holes, stagecoach holdup and all that stuff, the bucking horses, riders, and they were mostly top riders. They had the top riders in these shows from the various uh, ranches, you know. Uh, the Indians and their interpreter from the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota would arrive in time for the rehearsals and set up their teepees. There was never less than 50 of them. Well, so, they brought their own teepees. Right, yeah, where they would stay when they were stopped, not when they were traveling. Um, How did they travel? On the train. The Indians yeah, did. Yeah, they did on the train. After rehearsals, the boss porter got very busy placing the people of all departments in their respective places in their berths on the train. So you had the owner's private car was always on the tail end of the sleeping coach, followed by a stateroom, car for the office force and special acts, and the performer's car, one carrying the band and the sideshow people, making up the rest of the train were the bosses and teamsters, the white working man's car, the colored car, and the Indian car. It took them about 10 and all to sleep the people. So he had 10 cars just for sleeping. Okay? Now, the, the show's lawyer and the show's doctor were with us from the time we left winter quarters. By One the, doctor for all yeah, the, <laughs> the hundreds. By the second Saturday in April, the show would be rehearsed and ready. The show train was in two sections, and you asked about this. 26 and 24 cars to the section. So one section of 24, another one of 26. So 50 rail cars. Yeah. With the engine bells ringing and whistle blowing, the train master calling all aboard, we headed out for our opening stand. And in this case, he says maybe Oklahoma City, which would have been a, a, a big city at the time, right? Late 1890s. Yeah. 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 The first section arrived about midnight. The second section about 2 a.m., the train crew prepared to unload. The pollers, and I assume these are the guys that put up the poles for the tents, okay? The pollers were always big, strong men. As a rule, the cookhouse wagon uh, were first off the flat cars and the first to be loaded. By daylight, a large crowd of onlookers were on hand to watch the operation. It was a show to watch the teams and the trainmen work, just to watch them put this whole thing together. What about the cooking, though? It, it, did they leave the train at all or stay right on the train to go to the cook train uh, part of the train? Well, they unloaded the cook uh, wagon, uh, and so it was obviously on the ground somewhere I where see. they could go get their meals. He says, our reason for opening on Monday was to give all departments a chance to, to place their people and get organized. At Sunday noon, the flag was up on the cookhouse tent pole. This was the sign that the cookhouse was open and ready to serve. So that was on Sunday. On Monday, the big parade lined up and left the lot at 10 a.m., arriving back at the showgrounds at 11.30. So they had a parade that would go through town. You know, you've seen pictures of that. By 1 p.m., the doors of the big canopy tent were open for the first rush of customers. Uh, the seats were filled at 2 p.m. The bugle sounded and the show's first performance was on. The grand entry was headed by a guy named Tex Cooper. And this is sort of like our rodeo grand entry a little bit. Yeah. How did they do this without cell phones? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so first of all, Zeb, just as you'd think, the American flag. Then they had a real cowboy band. Yeah. Then came mounted cowgirls and uh, cowboys with the Deadwood stagecoach come running in. In the coach would be four or five cowgirls dressed in the style of the early days. 
Next in line was the Sideshow Band, followed by eight yoke of oxen pulling an old-time covered wagon. Oh the Cossacks from Russia were always a hit in the grand entry, and so were the elephants who brought up the rear. They brought elephants yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. So, That's not a Wild West show. <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> well, I'll keep going. Okay. <laughs> so here are the acts, and you're going to be amazed at how many things they had going. Okay, first of all, number one, you had the Cossacks, okay, from Russia. Right. They did their thing, coming in, daredevil riding. Then you had what they call the Tumblers, and this was an Arabian tumbling act, okay? Then you had the trained elephants that did uh, a bunch of tricks, then you had the old-time square dance on horseback. Have you ever seen that? Yes, I have. Okay. Then you had the wild steer riding and wild horse riding, you know, the, just like we do kind of in our uh, rodeos now. Then you had rifle and pistol shooting by the top, uh, uh, you know, shooters at the time. Then you had trained mules and a singing donkey. Fancy roping and horse catching by world champions, and it lists a whole bunch of the men that were the world champions. The fight over the waterhole, a fight between Indians and ranchers. Uh, cowboys, while riding at full speed, would pick up off the ground a small object like a handkerchief. You, you've probably seen that happen. The Indians you? used to do that years ago. I think it was the Navajos, I believe. They would put chickens in the ground with their necks sticking out, and they oh, would run yeah. by and pick the chickens out of the yeah. ground. Yeah, and that's with not without a saddle. That's right. Yeah, I mean, they were bareback. Yep. Then you had uh, Indian war dances, uh, lots of tom-toms and drum beating, singing and things like that by the Indian men and women. Then you had trick and fancy riding uh, by the greatest in the world. Then you had a Pony Express that showed how the mail was carried, how they'd come in, you know, change the, the uh, oh, what was it called, the saddlebags. Uh, there's a name for it. The I mail pouch. The mail pouch, yeah. And they'd show how that took place. Uh, they would have a horse thief that would come in, and they would catch him and uh, pretend like they're going to hang him, things like that. And they did all this without the aid of a good sound system, too, right, didn't exactly. they? Right, exactly, yeah. Then they had steer wrestling by people like Bill Pickett. You've heard of him. 101 Ranch, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and other famous guys. Uh, again, wild horse riding. Uh, then they had the famous uh, stagecoach holdup uh, with the Deadwood Stagecoach, which... Uh, was actually had been used in Deadwood, and they'd have a gang of outlaws that would come in riding, and uh, you know, and then they'd be driven off by the sheriff and the posse. And what about the DOJ going into Mar-a-Lago? I, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. Not on horseback. Then you had the wagon train, and this was a real old-time prairie oh schooner pulled by uh, by work auction oxen, and you know, the people with the long hair, the buckskin coats, and they. Plotted along, you know, and did their thing coming. But through. did they? I got to ask you, Ken. Uh, they did use somewhat uh, the use of a man uh, going back and forth in front of the stands with a megaphone, right? You know, it doesn't say that, but that would make sense, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. To, to announce. To say what's coming up or whatever. Yeah, yeah there, there, I would think there would have to be something like that. So after the night show was over uh then the loading of the cars took place so oh, think, they only did one show no they did two I they see. did one in the afternoon and another uh. in the evening so after the night show was over the loading of the cars took place under the direction of the train master who knew the length of each car and wagon and knew how to place every wagon in the right order now can you imagine that no so after the very last performance of the season when they're done they've gone all through the summer now 
the, bland, the band played Home Sweet Home, and our train returned to the show, show's winter quarters. Which was? Uh, where was it? In, uh, North Dakota? Winter oh, quarters, somewhere I up see. in there. Uh, and he talks about Buffalo Bill. He said, he said, the Buffalo Bill that I knew and worked for, I met in the year of 1896. At the time, I was only 15 and a half years old. But uh, he talks very highly of Buffalo Bill. Uh, talks about uh, how he would was so generous in helping those who were down and out with their luck. And uh, But generosity was kind of uh, the cause of him being broke at the time of his death. He died at his sister's home in Denver, Colorado, in 1917 at the age of 70. And owing uh, what they think was about $75,000. But this guy says he was just too big-hearted for his own good. Uh, he said, I worked for Buffalo Bill for five years. I was with the show when the train was wrecked near Whilling, West Virginia, oh, really? killing 110 of our horses. Oh, my. It was the same wreck that Annie Oakley got her head injured. And I, I know I did a story on her a long time ago, but I, and it seems like I remember something that she yeah. got, she got injured. But, um, but now the thing I'm really questioning, these people must have been paid fairly well or they wouldn't have stayed with this. Exactly. And even though I think they were paid some, what, like, uh, some kind of money from the, the outfit itself, but they also had to get paid regular money too, yeah. because they had to work, uh, you know, make it through the winter. Uh, oh my and I don't goodness. know, you know. Basically, we're talking about a circus. Exactly. Yeah, we really are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How many different cities did they try to do in the course of a season? You know, I don't know for sure, but you can figure that one a week. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm going to say thirty or forty shows, wouldn't you think? I would think so, but I go back to what I said earlier. You would think that the local, if they had them at that time, Chamber of Commerce, there would have to be some kind of an agreement or contract for some front money for them to expend the time and effort yeah. to get there. That would make sense because yeah. it's, it would be beneficial because they're going to draw from maybe 100 miles away. Absolutely. You know, once, once the word gets out. Yeah. But uh, – Anyway, he talks about Buffalo Bill again. He says, uh, I talked with Buffalo Bill about 30 days before his death. One day when he was riding in his buggy, he drove by the place where I was working. Uh, he said, I was working for the Hollis and Platts Horse and Mules Company. Uh, he said, he stopped when he saw me and yelled, Howdy, uh, come on over here and let's have a talk. He said, we visited for a while. And it was then that he told me that he felt his time was short here on the earth. And that he wanted to be buried at his old home near the wine cellar at North Platte, Nebraska, where he first started his show. He told me goodbye, and it was the last time I saw him alive. Wow. But let, let me show you a couple of pictures, Zeb. Oh, my. Um, so here's a picture of the elephants. You know, oh, And my they use the elephants, you know, to pull. Pull everything. Yeah, pull the, like, the tents to get them yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and here's a picture that. You know, look at all those horses, and there's the train cars. Oh, my. And on the, some of the flatbeds, you can see some of the uh, wagons that they used in the parades. Just and, imagine you being that you were around horses quite a bit and everything. Think of all the tack, all the saddles and the oh, bits bridles, and the bridles haulers. and blankets and everything. Yeah, yeah. And they wow. had to supply all those. Wow. You know? Uh, and what he, were the prime years? I've got about a minute left, but what were the prime years of having these uh, Wild West shows? Good, good. I know they went up until about 1930. 
Really? Yeah, and this one, he the one he started out was 1896, but I'm thinking probably maybe 1890. I would have to go back and look. It would be really something to yeah. see a resurgence of that nature again. Now, here's another picture. Again, look at all the people, and there's the flatbed cars with their fancy wagons on it. Oh, you know? my goodness. And sense. then here's a picture of Buffalo Bill. Again, look at all the animals and the wagons and uh, the the train cars lined up there. Well, I mean, you know, the feed alone. Oh, yeah. Of coordination of the feed and the stalls and everything. Holy And, and I wonder if they made arrangements ahead of time to have people there with hay and grain. Oh, they had to. So they would they have had to, to because how could you haul all that hay, you know, uh, for the animals? And was I don't think uh, the bulk of it was not baled hay. Probably not. It just came in on wagons, yeah. right? Just like the old. This is a, we got to talk more about this. Yeah. Anyway, that, I thought that was pretty fascinating. Can you imagine? We're ladies and gentlemen, you're watching the start or listening to the start of Doctor History's Wild West Show. That's right. He's going to fund the resurgence. I'm going to get Randy Munns. Oh, no. Please, no. Not Randy? No, please. Please, there goes your Wild West show. Oh, he was at the rodeo this year, you yeah, know. I know it. I'm yeah. giving Randy a hard time. Yep. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.